Welcome to a new episode of DevSecOps. And today it's me, Julian. It's Jacob, our old friend. It's Andre. And Andre, you also brought a guest with us. You want to introduce our guest? Yes. So today with us, we have Paul, uh, Paul Stag from Pulumi. And uh, as our listeners know, we are unbiased and unsponsored podcast. So if we do have a guest, that's the people who we actually want to have here, so we could ask our unbiased questions about the technology. And what's important is that the Paul is engineer, so he actually works on that technology before uh, joining Pulumi. He worked on Terraform, so he has a really good understanding of the infrastructure landscape, infrastructure automation, and the and the needs people have there. So he's actually a really good guy I have here to answer all of our confused questions regarding Pulumi and uh, and Terraform. And the thing is, almost a year ago, I think a little bit over a year ago, uh, in February 2020, we met at DevOps Days Madrid, where Paul gave a presentation about the Pulumi and how he used it to run unit tests, as he said at that time which wasn't really unit test, but yeah, he, he was doing the unit test for infrastructure. And uh, when I confronted him after, we spent about an hour talking about the differences between Pulumi and Terraform. And I actually went out quite inspired by everything I heard. And since then, I was looking for opportunity to put Pulumi to work, which didn't present itself yet, just yet, but I actually might be having project now where will be a time for me to get my hands dirty with Pulumi. And uh, let's like let's dig in. And hi, Paul. Thank you for coming. Hey, folks. Thank you so much for having me. I promise I'm not here to sell it. Okay, like as Andre said, I'm an engineer. I'm not a salesperson. So, like, that's, I'd rather that's, talk. That's about why we have you. Exactly. 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 And uh, as we discussed before starting the recording, all of us coming from. Terraform uh, background, even you, Paul, right? You mentioned to me that you've been working on a models feature, and you also mentioned that you never intentioned models to work as it being used. Yeah, so my Terraform background is vast. I I actually started in Terraform when it was 0.5, like just after helper schema was introduced into Terraform. I was actually the person who wrote the original version of the Azure RM Terraform mm. provider. Um, and I like, I think my name is still quite high up in the contributors list in Terraform, only because I wrote so much code in a two-year period. Uh, so I was involved in quite a, a few things at that point. Modules were definitely one of them. I am very much of the opinion that I think modules have been abused. I don't believe that the way that they're used is actually the way that they were intended to be used. I actually think that right now people use modules as a as an encapsulation of resources um, rather than a resharable resource because you know up until very recently you couldn't really depend on modules you couldn't range across modules you know so it it kind of it feels to me as though the design of modules has had to be enhanced and be forced as it's gone through because of how people are using modules but at the start it definitely wasn't like kind of designed in that sort of way you know so that's why depends on was never a thing it's why ranging um was never really a thing on them and and, and stuff like that so so yeah it's i still of course have to keep a very close eye on the terraform code base 
um, mm. because of the fact that, you know, it's, it's a competitor. We mm. do a lot still with some of the code base, which we can talk about in a little bit. And we have to understand a lot of what's going on. So um, I, I, I very, I, I still have a very keen eye on it. Right. So for people like uh, Jacob confess that he haven't worked with Pilbi before and haven't read much about it. How would you explain it to Jack? Okay, so Pulumi has taken a different approach to infrastructure management. We have built ourselves upon language runtimes rather than a DSL because we think that by building ourselves on top of a language runtime, we give the users the ability that they can take advantage of other parts of the language runtime ecosystem. So I'll give you an example, okay? Terraform has provisioners. Okay, mm -hmm. Pulumi doesn't have a native concept of provisioners because in the ecosystem that you're running it in, whether it's Go or TypeScript or .NET or uh, Python, there are SSH modules available that you can then get the outputs of the resources, load in the SSH uh, package or the module, and then connect to the instance that you need to do and do all the different things that you need to do, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a different approach because of the flexibility of the runtime itself. We don't need to give all of these packaged components like Terraform would need to because we're allowing the uh, the users to to bring in their own variant of that of that way of thinking. I guess some people confront you with a question like, "But Terraform is declarative." Well, it's getting less declarative now with HCL two. You're getting much more logic in there, like loops, conditions, and so on and so on. But yeah, like now um, with a dynamic language, you could shoot yourself in the leg quite easily. So. Yes. Okay. So, great question, and I hear this like basically every, every 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 time I speak to a different like a podcast or a, a conference talk or something like that, I get this right. It's like you can't be declarative in Pulumi because mm. you're using languages, okay? Mm. Which is kind of not true, okay? We are declarative, so your Pulumi application is end state. Okay, so it is declarative by nature because it's end state. But how you get there is via imperative language. Okay, so you still have to follow the construct of the language that you're using. So, like for example, if you're using TypeScript, you need to structure your application correctly that you make your declarations before you reference them. Okay, right. in Terraform, it doesn't matter the order of the resources on the page mm. or on the on the file or where even within the folder. Okay, you point Terraform at a folder. And it will literally go across all your TF files. Hmm. Pulumi doesn't do that because it has to follow the semantics of the language itself. So you would, in any um, imperative language, you have an entry point into your application. Okay, whether it's main.py, whether it's index.ts, whether it's main.go. And then from there, you load in each of the classes or each of the functions or the structures that you actually need in order to run all the different parts of your infrastructure. So even though it is declarative, you have to still follow imperative thought process to get there. Right, so if I compare Pulumi with a code generator, and am I off the path here? Yes. Uh, okay, so take a step back. Pulumi has an engine, uh, the engine takes care of understanding how to talk to each of the different cloud APIs. The right. engine generates declarative packages 
for each of the languages, uh, the clouds and the SDKs. Mm. Okay. And because of that, like the functionality available in Azure TypeScript is the same as the functionality available in Azure Python. Okay. Right. So think of the SDK as being the dumb part of Pulumi. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. It is literally just a bunch of um, types and a bunch of argument classes and a bunch of parameters that have like specific primitive types, whether they're, um, you know, lists, objects, uh, whether they're ints or strings. In Pulumi, there's no such thing as lists or maps. Yeah. Or yeah. excuse me, lists or sets. It's just an object. Okay. Mm. So we, we, like, we, we do things slightly different there. And then how that actually works is the SDKs and the language runtimes have a gRPC call back to the Pulumi um, engine internally. And then Pulumi Engine is able to decipher all of the object structures, and it actually makes a request to the, the cloud APIs on your behalf. So it's not that it's uh, a code gen. It's not like a, it's a language you know, uh, thing. It is a living, breathing thing. It doesn't talk to the cloud APIs via CloudFormation or Terraform or anything like mm -hmm. that. The Pulumi Engine is actually what is talking to the APIs themselves. Right. But you also mentioned to me that uh, you reuse uh providers from Terraform. Ah, we Not do. Some of so, them. Yes. So the Terraform provider ecosystem is extremely rich, okay? Like thousands and thousands of person power or hours of person power has gone into making all of these providers that do all these different things, okay? So at the start, Pulumi was kind of a, it's us versus Terraform. It's mm. not, yeah. okay? Mm. We're in this... This ecosystem is big enough for multiple tools to work, okay? Right. Multiple tools to sit alongside each other. So Pulumi no exists alongside Terraform, okay? Mm. It's able to be an extension of Terraform. An example would be we have a Pulumi Terraform package, which will allow you to read your Terraform remote state, okay? Mm -hmm. So you declare in your Pulumi application, let's say your networking team um, don't know any programming languages, so to speak, mm -hmm and they're happy writing in HCL, then they can actually create their infrastructure with Terraform. They can expose the correct outputs. Um, and your infrastructure, you know, your your UI team who want to build things in Pulumi, because they can do it in Node.js or TypeScript, they can mm. ingest that remote state. They can take the outputs of that remote state and then build mm. Pulumi applications on top. Now, with regards to providers, for us to go and reinvent the wheel with all the providers would be crazy. Yeah. Right? Like it would just be, it would be starting from scratch and we would be six years or seven years behind Terraform. So there is a tool that is available that will point to any Terraform provider. It will extract the schema from that provider and the CRUD functionality. And we're able to scaffold a Pulumi provider based on that. So once we do that initial code gen, that's it. We don't need to, you don't need the Terraform binaries. You don't need the Terraform providers in your machine, nothing. We have abstra abstracted all of that. We've lifted up and we've turned it into like a bridge where we can understand how a Terraform schema talks to the cloud API. We can then translate Pulumi API requests into a similar style and making the same API request on its behalf. Now that's not our, like that's not the only types of providers we have, right? That is a specific type of provider mm -hmm. that got us to market and most of our providers today have that, mm. okay? And that's really important to know. Like if, if somebody comes to us tomorrow and say, hey, 
we can't use Pulumi because you're missing X provider. It can take it takes two hours or three hours maximum for me to scaffold a Pulumi provider based on top of a Terraform provider, right? Mm. It's that simple. But we also have native providers, and this is where we have a lot more success, okay? So like our Kubernetes provider and our Azure providers are native providers. They actually track the rest of the open API specs of mm-hmm. each of the, the individual projects, okay? So let's talk about Kubernetes because it's like a fast-moving, changing, right. such right. a huge project right now, yeah. okay? When a new version of the open API spec from Kubernetes hits the internet, hits like GitHub, is tagged, immediately we're able to generate a new version of our SDK based on top of that. And within 15 minutes, we can make a new release of the um, of the provider uh, based on the fact that it's a, an open API spec. So, you know, it's, it's pretty fast. We have same day delivery of the features for the Kubernetes API that the Kubernetes API themselves have. Now, just recently we've gone and we've started doing the same thing for Azure. And uh, so now we're using the Azure REST API specs, which is actually what the Azure SDKs that Terraform are based on um, is, mm-hmm. is, is actually um, using. So that actually means that we're able to auto-generate the functionality of the Azure API, whereas Terraform still, unfortunately, somebody has to go in and manually map the SDK into Terraform calls. So, you know, it, there are, it's, it's kind of a follow your own path here. Depends on what really you like, what you don't like. And there are some clouds that are large enough that they publish these open API specs that we can automate. And then there are smaller ones that we just can't do. So. Right. Well, let's see. If I'm, a, if I'm a practitioner who wants to start with Pulumi, I guess the first question I'm going to get is the state. Right. So how do I do the state? Right. So you have a SaaS offering where you could handle the state for me. But I guess... Maybe people are not so, so, I mean, I don't know what the percentage starts with SaaS because like after the Terraform, I pretty much like get used to running it on S3, having my state on S3, right? So could you talk a little bit about state? So we, we call these backends, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way as Terraform calls them backends as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And a backend for us is either managed, so being the SaaS mm-hmm. or the enterprise offering, or it's mm. self-managed, where you take care of it and you manage it yourself, okay? Right. Now, um, we have a very large customer base of both of these, okay? And there are people who are very happy using the SaaS, but of course there are people that are ultimately very happy using like S3 buckets or GCP mm. buckets or um, uh, Azure key blobs and stuff like that. Now, where we're different uh, to Terraform is that our back-end storage doesn't have locking, okay? Mm-hmm. This is one of the downsides of our open source offering, okay? Right. Now, as of today, today is the 11th of March. There is a pull request open that will implement locking in the S3 back-end, mm-hmm. and that pull request is actively going through review right now so that we can implement it, okay? Now, we're a little worried that it might be a little slower for people because of the lock and mechanics of it. So we're probably going to put it behind an opt-in environment variable that people can test it and they can opt into it and stuff like that. But like, as far as Pulumi goes today, everything that you can do in the SaaS for your state management, you can also do in the open source backends minus the locking. Okay. Right. Of course, the SaaS has other offerings. It has 
SSO for login. It has um, our back controls that different people can push to different projects and stuff like that. But with the raw Pulumi functionality, the actual APIs, the integrations with the providers, they are one-to-one. There is no limitation with the CLI and the SDKs when you use the open source backends. Right. And, uh, and you also have a different approach to secrets management in a, in a state, right? Yes. So, bef- yeah. So, I said at the start, Pulumi allows you to interact natively with the language runtimes, which means that we can interact natively with the SDKs that allow secret management. So, mm-hmm. I genuinely don't know what people are doing these days for secret management in Terraform. It used to be when I was, so it makes me sound super old, when I was a Terraform developer, here's what people used to do. That's not the case, of course. Like, for us now, in this, in the five years that Pulumi has has come along and has moved, you know, um, secret management in as a pass for all of the clouds have become has become huge, right? So we have uh, KMS in in both uh, AWS and 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 uh, GCP, and then we also have uh, Key Vault, and we have of course like the one that's probably the one I use most of everything is Vault HashiCorp's Vault. Mm-hmm. You know, so we can interact with these. Okay, we have the APIs to do that, and it means that there's two different ways in which you can manage your secrets. Now, it's important to say here that as soon as you implement a Pulumi project, you have a secret manager that has been instantiated by default. Whether you like it or not, it is there and and you can take advantage and you can use it at any point, okay? Now, that gives you two different options. One, if you're using the Pulumi SaaS, then you're using what's called Pulumi KMS. Now, Pulumi KMS is a KMS key that is spun up on your behalf in the Pulumi infrastructure that relates to your project and your uh, stack. Okay, we'll talk mm-hmm. about projects and stacks in a little bit as to what they actually mean. So it means that each stack or each instance of your infrastructure has a different key from each other. You don't really reshare the same key, okay? But there are people who are like, hey, secret management is super secure. We want to bring our own key. We don't mm-hmm. want to use a Pulumi managed key because we don't, you know, either we don't trust you or we want to have secret rotation or or different policies and stuff like that. But when you instantiate a Pulumi stack, you can pass in an AWS uh, KMS key or you can pass in a HashiVault instance and just pass the token. And Pulumi, as long as the function, as long as you have the credentials when you're running the Pulumi CLI um, to talk to that security instance, at that point is when you'll actually be able to interact with Pulumi. If, if, if the person running the CLI doesn't have access to that credentials or that key store, Pulumi will stop the run right there. It won't try and do anything with it. Right. So we try and be a little, I'm going to call it secure by default. Of course, it's not secure by default. It's its we're giving you the ability that you can be secure by default and that you can implement any any piece of functionality. Now, an extension of that is, is that any resource in Pulumi you can actually mark any output of that resource as a secret. And not only does it get proliferated as a secret in this CLI output, but it also is managed as a ciphertext the whole way through the state. Now, only at the point of which Pulumi needs to decrypt it is the point of which it actually, um, uh, is the point of which it's changed from a ciphertext to plain text. But that happens internally and we never leak the state through. So right. even if, even if you check your state file into source control, mm. it's okay. Like unless they also have access to your KMS key or your HashiVault uh, token, 
uh, right. to decrypt it, they can't decrypt your state. Right. So, like, if we use your background and Terraform, why would people who write Terraform don't do that? That I don't understand. I mean, the state management in Terraform is such a problem. And I'm just uh, confused. State if, you, if you can, you know, speculate. Yeah, so the state management in Terraform is... When Terraform was created, right, the, the platform as a service around these types of things wasn't as rich, right? Terraform's been around for quite a while now, okay? Like, yeah. KMS was was getting there. It was probably in use and stuff like that. Mm. But it wasn't as big and as important as it is now. Like, if, if we speculate in the eight years or whatever it's been since Terraform was created, security is now on the forefront of people's minds, whereas back then, it was mm. an afterthought. Okay, right. so, you know, when you created your infrastructure, it was like, a, oh, my God, I've just created, like, my infrastructure as code. Mm. Like, you didn't really have the, oh, but that infrastructure isn't secure. You know, it was, yeah. it was like, it was an evolution even to get to infrastructure as code. But mm. now, like, infrastructure as code is a household thing. It happens. It's it's what every team who is, who's, okay, not every team, but it's be, what teams be, be, are Between doing. us, yes. Between us, it yeah. definitely happened. But like for people yes. out there, not And there's really. a lot. There's a lot of people that are not doing it, of course. But the teams who are doing it and doing it successfully are now starting to think, well, you know, I need to think about security. I need to think about testing. I need to think right. about all these different pieces. So it just so happens that we were far enough along in the ecosystem. And mm-hmm. because we do have these language runtimes that were built upon, so we can, and we can bring in modules that we don't have to rewrite the wheel okay whereas in terraform because hcl is like they would have to embed something in hcl potentially that would allow that to happen but because there's such a rich ecosystem around terraform and the supporting tools for terraform it probably at this point doesn't really make sense for them to spend a ton of time Mm -hmm. building something specifically for secret management so i like we talked about build scaffolding the, the Terraform providers into polymer mm. providers. Okay? In the Terraform schemas, there is something marked as sensitive truth. Okay? Right. We've seen those, right, where sometimes, like, let's say AWS RDS, um, some of the outputs of RDS you want to be secret, okay? Yeah, now, yeah. Pulumi actually takes those and proliferates those the whole way through the system. And when you build an RDS instance that was, of course, coming from the Terraform provider, we know that that specific part of the schema should be sensitive, and that immediately, whether you want it or not, goes into your key value store. It goes into your mm-hmm. or your secret store, not your key value store. So, you know, we're we're trying to put security right up there in people's minds that that it sort of they would have to opt out, if you know what I mean. They they would right, have to right. actually not use secret management, whereas we we're trying to force them to be secret by by default. Right. So. Yeah, it feels very good, but like, I guess every very good solution has its downside. So, like, if if I am not to use Pulumi, why well, I should not be using Pulumi? So, uh, what, what, a, like, what 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 do people struggle with? You're probably getting a lot of support questions. What people struggle yeah. with? So, I it's funny. I I I actually have a conference talk around this type of um, scenario right now, and it's called uh, cloud engineering: the next mm. frontier on, on infrastructure management. And uh, so, I'll give you a little thought process here based on this. Pulumi isn't just a CLI, right? Pulumi, we we understand that 
if it's a CLI-based approach and that's our only way of, of interacting, then, you know, why would a team choose Pulumi over Terraform? Okay, like, you know, why would you go with a newer tool that's fresher in the in this part of the industry compared to a tool that's used by thousands of companies and stuff like that, okay? So at Pulumi, we're trying to do things a little differently. We're trying to imagine that not only do people want to use the CLI, but they also want the ability that they can create their own platform internally. Okay, so recently we we launched what's called the Automation API. It's it's a poor name. Okay, it hasn't gone GA. It'll be GA very shortly, mm-hmm. um, and it'll probably have a new name at that point. Okay, now what this actually does, it it allows programmatic access to Pulumi, so that you can run Pulumi via Go, um, Go Run. Okay, or mm-hmm. um, Python run or .NET build or whatever you want to do, okay? Now, if you think of it as a program and interface across the top of Pulumi that allows you to pass the parameters into Pulumi CLI that you would, but that you can actually build rich applications. So if you think of a self-service portal, okay, like a Next.js app or a Vue or something like that, that a user is given internally that they fill out a couple of fields, a couple of well-known mm. parameters, they click a button, and they're self-servicing their infrastructure, it goes off, it talks to the Pulumi Automation API, and then the Pulumi Automation API gives them the result back, you paste it to the screen, so that they get their connection string or their cube uh, c- control file or anything like that, right? Um, cool. So it's it's about building the experience rather than just offering somebody the one-to-one, you know, um, CLI so- sort of matching. Because, like, it's 2021, right? Like if we're kind of moving a wee bit away, you know, we're, we're, we're on this 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 ecosystem evolution and we, we've sort of gone there. We've realized the CLI is awesome, but now it's like internally people are starting to build their own systems. So we're like, let's give you the tools in order to build your systems. One of our community engineers uh, in a Hack Day project, actually there were two cool Hack Day projects. One, there was a very small Electron JS app um, that somebody wrote that you could provision like um, AWS infrastructure. And it's it's on GitHub. It's called Pulumatron, which is kind of cool. Uh, but the, the one that I actually demo quite a lot to show what people can do is our community engineer. He built a Cobra CLI app in Go. Okay, that Cobra CLI app in Go has a couple of different endpoints, which under the hood talks to Pulumi. Okay, mm. now all you have to do, it's called Ploy. Okay, and I, I can drop the links so that you can like right. put it in the show notes, and it's it's really cool. So if if you give Ploy um, an environment variable of uh, cube config, and Ploy is sitting in a container with a Docker file, then Ploy will actually build the Docker image. It will upload that Docker image to ECR. It will create an ECR repository first on your behalf, a private one. It doesn't interact with public. It will upload that Docker image to ECR. It will then reference that Docker image in a Kubernetes deployment, and it will create the associated service and namespace for that deployment, and the user gets a, a URL at the end. Okay, So Apply Up effectively takes an entire um, Docker file and deploys it and uh, with the whole service in Kubernetes uh, in EKS. So you know it's, it's showing people that you don't need to use Pulumi as a raw CLI you can actually use Pulumi as the engine to actually power your infrastructure internally and to build the infrastructure that you need within your or- organization itself. 
You're talking on sort of like self-serving portal for developers, more or less, right? They can spin up their own resources in any cloud that you're provisioning from the API, or like uh, uh, the CI/CD tool can during the deploy make sure that the resources are created and then deploy to them. Yep, that's yeah. exactly it. Like we cool. we kind of know that for us to force people to use the constraints of the Pulumi CLI. Yeah. would limit the potential of the people that are actually using it within an organization. Okay, like for you to take an organization of 500 developers and having to make sure that everybody has um, the the, Plum- the correct version of the Plumi CLI, it has all of the correct credentials, it has all these different things, right? Yeah. The barrier to entry is extremely high. Especially I will also, for- sorry, yeah, ahead. sorry, I would also point out that I understand it, right? It's, it may be one of the first time I actually understand something. Remember, Jacob, when we talked about like push versus pull? It took me like, I don't know, half hour or something to finally understand what we're talking about. But now it was pretty fast. <laughs> you went off and did some reading afterwards, did you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <it's, laughs> and we're, fine. we're actually finding a lot of people starting to build these types of tools, right? So, yeah. um, like, we just we, and we dog food quite a lot. Okay, so like we just I just rewrote the GitHub action recently um, to be built on top of our automation API because we want to know that people are able to do things in their own way. So it was a yeah. perfect use case that the automation API, uh, the, excuse me, the GitHub action, it's written in TypeScript. So therefore, we can embed the Pulumi uh, Node.js module for the the automation API, and and you know it, it's it's got four simple things. It's got up. It's got preview. It's got refresh and it's got destroy. So those are all of the different flows that a GitHub action would go through. So therefore, we implemented it on top and we're able to find like immediate speed changes, performance gains and all these different things. So it is about this building the platform. Pulumi is a CLI, but it's only part of the offering. Pulumi, the company, is different from Pulumi, the CLI. Uh, I feel that that you also have some big ideas behind it. So like what we see now, it will be just a first, first signs of things to come. But also, I, Jakob, I, I, sorry for interrupting. I just wanted to press the question a little bit. Um, so what people struggle with still, like uh, we <laughs> we went to discuss uh, a pl- uh, building the platform app and I think it's great. Yeah, like I could uh, see, uh, like, you know, I'm coming from CI/CD space. I've been doing that for quite a while. And I could see the analogy with, uh, you know, Jenkins, like back in 2010 was kind of cool thing. And you can build a, a lot, like you can build plugins for it. And that's pretty much how Terraform is now. I mean, it's a cool project and you could build your own stuff on top of that. And that's appealing to people. But at the end of the day, you want to move your business forward. You don't want to spend like days fixing Jenkins on like fixing the Jenkins plugin, stuff like that. So that's why we have a new generation of tools coming after Jenkins and now outperforming it and uh, being more convenient and offering a much shorter path or like a path of less of resistance for developers to get things done. So that seems to be a right way to go. But still, like when people are starting with Pulumi, what would they often ask? The biggest barrier to entry with Pulumi is... um... The resol- so Pulumi is built on promises, okay? So mm-hmm. if you if you think like Terraform has the DAG and Terraform understands that, you know, the DAG has to happen in a specific way because Pulumi is an imperative program. Um, it has to work on the resolution of um, outputs from resources as inputs of everything else. Okay, mm-hmm. So 
we have probably the most difficult part of Pulumi is the resolution of outputs as uh, for like inspection of the CLI or for, for other sort of processes, like let's say IP addresses that need to be passed into user data and stuff like that. Mm. Okay. So Pulumi has um, in its promise resolution, it has a function called apply. Okay. And apply is probably the most difficult where it's basically saying, I want to get the output uh, of this specific resource. I then want to do something with that output, whether that's right to file, whether it's right to CLI or whether that's like, generating some extra code or, you know, doing some tests or something like that. And that's the biggest barrier to entry. So it's kind of, it's a bit more native for programmers to do that, especially Mm -hmm. programmers that have, you know, thought about more async and and sort of working in that direction. And it tends to be the biggest barrier to entry for like operators coming to Terraform or infrastructure developers coming to Terraform, people that don't need to deal in that space on a day-to-day basis. Now, there's a, there's a lot of work that's happening here to make sure that we – firstly, I, I personally think that we have been a little contrived up until now in our message that it's programming infrastructure in real languages. Okay, that's mm-hmm. That kind of immediately alienated a whole group of people that are not programmers. Okay, And that's – that's part of like why we get these questions, you know, why would I choose Pulumi, you know, over Terraform and stuff like this. But the amount, like what we're trying to do right now is to try and show people that the amount of understanding of the programming language to get started with Pulumi is extremely low. So I'll give you an example. Python's probably the one that's a little bit of a black box to most people. Like everybody's starting to learn Go, right? Go is, mm. it's, it's, it's a bit more of a hip language. Python is not as seen as as hip as as Go, for example. So let's think about what you would need to do to get started in in Pulumi with Python. So firstly, you would need to understand a little about virtual environments, mm-hmm. okay? Because that's a good practice in the Python community. Yeah, you yeah. first thing you do is you spin up a virtual environment. Then each project can have its own dependencies and its own uh, resolution of of Pulumi um, requirements. When you have that, you need to understand a little about pip, so that you can install the Pulumi package. And you can make sure that you have your upgrades of Pulumi. Then you need to just know the structure of a Python application. So underscore, underscore, main.py. Um, and then you can, from that, you can then load in other Python files. Okay. If you know that about Python, you are very able to get started with Pulumi. The same with Go, right? You need to know a little about the modules. You need to know um, a module resolution, where to get packages from. So the getting started is actually kind of low, but we haven't really made that clear for lots of people. We've sort of said, you know, you can write your infrastructure in TypeScript. And everyone's like, well, does that mean I have to like be a TypeScript expert? Like, what does that actually mean for me? Yeah. So we're, we're doing a lot of work there to make that understanding more clear that it isn't about that you're able to, you know, that you need to know Python. But what it means is, is that you can start off with a very basic declaration of your resources in Python. And as you need to refactor stuff and move things through, then you can do it. Now, this yeah. brings me to like the actual Pulumi state file itself. Okay. Now, for better or worse, in Terraform, when you have a resource that's inside a module, you can't move that resource outside a module and move it around, right? You have this, this state you are in in Terraform that's very fixed and 
and is a bit more difficult to actually. Oh, you do. you 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 can, but it will take additional yeah. hoops to do that. Yes, and you'd have to um, state remove, state add, all these different yeah, things. Right? Or, or state move, but still, you have yeah, to do additional move. additional movements to do that. So in Pulumi, we kind of because we're in the imperative in the languages approach, we kind of went in a different direction. So. A state URN is made up of a couple of things, okay? So the first thing it's made up of is a project. A Plumi project is like the actual code itself, okay? Mm. So like you think of a networking project or a database project or a, or a, 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 a UI layer project or stuff like that. Then it has um, a stack added to it, okay? So a stack is the equivalent of a Terraform workspace. In mm. Terraform, you're not forced to use them. In Pulumi, you are. Mm-hmm. Okay, because a stack is an encapsulation of the state plus the configuration required for that program. Okay, and stack right. can be brought up and down independently of each other, and they can be using different things and all these different things, right? Then it has a type, okay, so like an S3 bucket, mm. okay, and then it has a name resource. That is the entire makeup of a Pulumi um, URN right. okay, for a resource URN. So where it sits on the file system doesn't matter. It can be buried five levels down, three modules down. It doesn't matter. It's so, And even if you need to move things around, Pulumi has added what's called aliases. Aliases mm-hmm. mean that when you did rename a resource, you can give Pulumi the old name of the resource, and Pulumi will understand that it doesn't need to recreate it, that it's a reference in the state to what it was before. Okay? Right. Because that's kind of... We've gone for the create before delete approach, whereas Terraform is delete before create, unless mm. you specify it the other way around. Yeah, so we're, yeah, we're yeah. kind of inverted here, which then means that we can we actually force auto naming by default. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and this is another area that really gets people, and we get this question a hundred times. I have specified that my S three bucket should be called my bucket, but it's my bucket dash random string. Why is that? Well, by default, Pulumi tries to ensure that you can create a replica of your infrastructure to make things HA so that you can create a new one before you delete old ones. And in AWS and specific clouds, you can't create two resources of the same name. Like, for example, you can't create two launch configurations that are the same. Yeah. You have to, they have to be random string and then pulled through. So Pulumi's approach is, is that we will always append a random string on the end, a mm-hmm. random suffix, unless you tell us not to. You can override mm-hmm. and specifically hard code the name, which means that the operation will always create a new one before deleting the old one. And those are the two main things. Like, what mm-hmm. does it take me to get going with Pulumi? And why is my name random compared to what it actually should be? Right, right. Yeah, and also state, I guess, because like that's people, I guess, what people look first for. Where do I put my state and stuff like that? Hmm. Yeah. So we're like, even though people can draw parallels, well, Pulumi is just a a different Terraform or a different implementation of Terraform. It's one, like, it's one of the most common misconceptions. Pulumi has no reference to Terraform whatsoever, okay? We extract the schemas from the providers and stuff like that. The engines are completely different. The engines have completely different operations, like where create before destroy, Terraform delete before create, unless you specify otherwise. Um, we're different sort of approach to state. We're different sort of approach to packaging because you know we're using the language runtimes. If you want to create a PyP package that you put on your internal registry that everyone can use, then you can do that. But where we have gone with this is even a little bit more interesting. 
So we have just recently launched a new feature called multi-language. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. How, how is that even possible? So multi-language, just, just to give a quick recap of what it is, it effectively means that you can write your module or your package in Go, and you can expose that same package that developers can take advantage and consume it in Python or TypeScript. Okay, so let's think of the use case here. You have a centralized operations team or a centralized infrastructure team who have to create modules and packages for people around the, um, the IT org that need to use. That infrastructure team writes in Go, mm. okay? The database guys or the, um, the UI people, they don't know Go. So you can give it to them packaged up as the binary, and then Pulumi will understand that it translates internally in the binary that somebody is calling our EKS package in TypeScript, and it actually needs to translate into the Go API um, under the hood. So mm. how we've managed to do that is that every provider or every multi-language component will expose a schema. The mm -hmm. schema will auto-generate for any languages that are not in the base language. So like right. if you write the provider in Go, Go is the base language of that component. Okay. Mm -hmm. The schema understands that it's the base language of that component. So it will auto-generate the TypeScript, the .NET, and the Python um, SDKs for each. Because the binary exists as a dependency and it's installed without you even realizing that you have to install it, um, it knows that the, the Pulumi runtime knows that I need to translate inside this binary and this binary talks back to the, the Pulumi engine and it's able to execute. So it's a very cool way of being able to create components in these multi-language sort of ecosystems that specialized teams can write tooling that other teams can consume without needing to know the internals or all of the, the complexity that's involved. I say I say good and bad things in this because like I've been in a situation where you have you want to have a little bit of conformity across the organization how they do things because like some might get very creative and then he leaves or being hit by the bus and you have no idea what's going on there but at the same time enabling people like in a big organization where there is no way you can get conformity that yes. might be a, a good thing. And this is this is exactly why we're doing it, right? Some of our largest customers exactly want this, right? They have uh, specialized networking teams or specialized infrastructure teams or SRE teams that need to create components for other people. Now, uh, for them, up until now, they would have had to create them in two or three different languages. That's not a great use of time, right? Mm -hmm. Write it once, mm -hmm. let that be reused, and it means that you have a centralized version. Of course, because we're on languages as well, we can, we can enforce SEMVR. Right. We um, can tell people that you must, you know, well, we don't tell them, but, you know, they can follow good Semver practices. Mm. So it, it sort of gives them as a, as a, as a client, a nice experience that they only have to write it once and then they can reuse it elsewhere. I'm just had a little bit of thought experiment before we started the recording. I also sent a question to you in Twitter. Like, uh, have you thought about using, you know, those shared Pulumi libraries as attack vector of supply chain attack? Because, like, for instance, you do a, you know, pipey packet that will be injected in your backend server. It's, it probably will be well isolated, so you will have to work hard to get yourself out of there. But if you're getting something embedded into, like, something being reused by the infrastructure management tool, like it happened with the SolarWinds, uh, then you have access to, like, the keys and the infrastructure, 
and it's quite easy to hide. I mean, in the code, it's quite easy to hide a small call to some to the command control center, like sending your AWS keys out, for instance. Yeah, um, we're constantly being checked for that, of course. Like Pulumi SOC two type two compliant, mm. so we're understanding that our clients want us to like very carefully take care of their binaries and and make sure that the binaries that are actually being distributed are, are different. Now it's it's really important to know here one thing. The SDKs they get packaged as npm or pipey or go mods and stuff like that, okay? They're available on those registries. Yeah. They actually at the, the official Pulumi SDKs I mean right now, they actually will download binaries from get.pulumi.com. Okay, so right. the, the official binaries are already going through our process. Um, they're already, um, you know, going through, making sure that they're stuck in, in specific locations, making sure that actually um, they're, they're, they're following a regular CI program, okay, that we publish checksums for those binaries. You know, so we're, we're trying to make sure that that potential is low, but of right. course that's always something we're going to need to, like, you know, continually check on and make sure everything is okay. Yeah, that is common sense hygiene, right? So don't pull the random libraries from random places. Yeah. All right. I think uh, yeah. I think we are coming to the end, aren't we? I have I one last question. Can I drag that? Sorry, this might be a kind of stupid question. You have one too, you then yeah. Okay, we're talking about languages, right? when you're writing your infras code, right? You talked about TypeScript and all things. And can you give like an example how would how you would use the languages in your infras code? For example, if you have the Python, will I run like a Python function that goes up and fetches things from my database and then use that data to create resources in AWS? Is that okay. what you're talking about here or that's a yeah. brilliant, brilliant question. Um, okay, so we have an example of this. Okay, so let's say a canary release of Kubernetes, okay? And you actually want to properly canary release your Kubernetes um, application, okay? So yeah. I know a customer has written some code that does this, it's not public. And I can't say who the customer is, but I, I even show the code sample in, in my talks. Okay, so what you do is you would specify uh, a canary deploy of your Kubernetes deployment, and you would say three replicas in there, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, at that point, the customer then wrote some code in a Python class that ingested the Prometheus API, you know, the Prometheus package. They can pass the name of the deployment into that Prometheus package. It makes a call to Prometheus on their behalf. It monitors Prometheus for 60 seconds or whatever period of time it is. And as long as there's no changes in the standard deviation of performance, it returns that it's okay or it's not okay. If it's uh -huh. okay, then the deployment continues. Now, what would usually happen in infrastructure as code space is you would have to do multiple deployments there. You'd have to do the first um, apply. You would then yeah. go and check your monitoring tool. And then when everything is okay, you would come back and then run your next apply, okay? Uh -huh. But because Pulumi is able to ingest these packages that are already publicly available, it's yeah. able to do these things on your behalf. Now, well, another use case on the back of this yeah. is Pulumi has this idea called dynamic providers. Okay, yeah. so you as a developer, if there's something that's not available in the Pulumi SDK, you can write your own provider in like specific lines of code. So as long as you adhere to the API for check 
and for run and create and stuff like that. So I'm actually seeing customers um, talking to the Azure CLI as part of their Pulumi deployment workflow. So the first thing is they would do is they would create their CDM. Um, the next thing is they would create their application. And the third step is they would actually pass specific variables into the dynamic provider that associates the application with the CDN. Because in the Azure SDK, there's no way of doing that. It has to be done via the CLI. So they're able to embed that code. And it actually does the, the equivalent of an exec process. Okay, actually calls the CLI or the SDK or whatever you want. So that's that's where the yeah. the benefit of the of using the language is, right? Because there's yeah. already well-formed packages by cloud vendors that allow you to do these different things. Julian, you wanted to ask yeah. something. Yeah, thank you very much. I partially answered the questions uh, about you know the the dynamic providers, which is exactly what I was looking for. And I wonder, like, is this um, you, you can do as a binary, but how how long? Like, what's the past of least resistance if uh, someone new wants to de develop their own providers? Like, let's say you have a home lab, right? And you want to play with it and start with Pulumi. Like, where, where should you start? And what's the what's the best, the, the the most documented way to go there? So, one of our clients actually, like, and they're they're an open source user of Pulumi. They don't pay for like the SaaS and stuff like that. Mm. They have built an entire business of building Amplify AWS Amplify plugins. Okay, using a dynamic provider. It's not available in a Terraform provider today. It's not available in Pulumi provider today. So what they did is they were able to ingest the SDK directly. They're a Python shop. So they were able to write a dynamic provider that ingested the SDK directly um, that's available. And they were able to build an entire library of Amplify plugins. And they're actually charging consultancy rates for Amplify. Okay, and mm. so showing people if you need to de um, deploy an Amplify environment, here are the modules that you need to do, right? They've packaged it up as, as pipey uh, projects and they've pushed it out there and people use it. So that is a very, very small path to least resistance to do it. Now, wow. the dynamic provider allows you to, to implement the delete. It allows you to implement the create and the reads and the diffs and the checks, you know, everything that a, the lifecycle of a provider has. So, and in there, it can be as nasty a code as you want. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right, like, right. It, it has an API that it has to conform to, but what happens inside that API, it doesn't matter. You can be calling 500 different REST APIs if you really want to and stuff like that, right? And that's mm. it. But it is a great, like, if you have a home lab and you want to create a Pulumi provider that talks to, um, you know, your Raspberry Pi cluster that's doing this, if there's a package available or an API available, even making raw HTTP requests, you can do that inside a dynamic provider. Awesome. Oh, cool. That's exactly. I have to say that the first time I encountered Pulumi, I was like, this is going to be too complicated for the team of, uh, you know, infrastructure uh, engineer that, you know, don't write code and or don't write a lot of code. And uh, I have to say now I'm kind of convinced that it would actually be better than uh, teaching them Terraform or spending all that time because I... I I have a little bit of my uh, fair share of scars playing with uh, Terraform and all the edge cases that you, mm -hmm. you need to pay attention to. So I, I'm, you, you made me reconsider Pulumi again. That's great. <laughs> so like one of the things I'll, I'll, I'll end on here, and it's, it's really important, and I, I got asked exactly the same question like a couple hours ago. It's like, 
why, you know, and it's a, it's a really important summation of what we've been talking about. Why Pulumi over Terraform? Okay. Mm. And my response is it's the typical, well, what do you want to do? Like it has caveats. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. if you're happy today and you're using Terraform and you're using the Terraform in the CLI and it works for you, then to move your entire infrastructure from one to the other is probably not going to benefit you. Right. Uh, it's definitely. it will be time and effort not really spent in order to do it. Like you can ingest your Terraform remote state and you can build new things on Pulumi on top just to try it out using the Pulumi Terraform package. Okay. If you want to give yourself the ability that you can build your own tools, your own platforms, everything internally that sort of fulfills what your engineering org is doing internally in your company then maybe Pulumi will work for you because of the fact that it has that scope in allowing you to ingest all these different parts of the puzzle, okay? Now, of course, you can do that with Terraform Exec, okay? There is the Terraform Exec library, which will allow you to do something similar, but it's very difficult to, you can't really embed like a Python SDK for Prometheus in Terraform Exec, okay? It's not really, it, again, it's not something that was designed in that fashion. And I'm pretty positive that, you know, the HashiCorp system or the HashiCorp ecosystem, again, will show that that there is a need for this and somebody will build this type of thing within the HashiCorp ecosystem as well. But right now for us, it's very much a case of what would you like to do with Terraform going or do with your infrastructure going forward? If you need to expand it and it needs to have unbounded capabilities and, and be able to create these multi-language components and stuff, that's where Pulumi comes into play. You can't just think of it in terms of CLI versus CLI because it'll never yeah. actually, you know, we're already many years behind. Yeah. Uh, so that might be a good segue for the another episode, as I said in the beginning, because like, I have this project and we can have that project, GitOps versus Pulumi. Because yeah. like we actually started with GitOps and I'm feeling that we start to run into the, into the edge cases now where we need to reconsider yeah. the approach. And yeah. today, I think time's up. So, awesome. thank you really very much you for having me. I, um, yeah. I enjoyed that. That was cool. Yeah, great having you here. And then I would say to the listener, thank you for listening and check out the webpage with links and the notes and the other stuff. Yes, and, um, uh, exactly. Yeah. All right, till next time then. Bye bye. You have been listening to the DevSecOps podcast with Matthias Andre and Julian. For more podcast and notes, go to the webpage devsecops.fm. Thanks for tuning in.